This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Parables are similitudes. Every time the Lord Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto, he meant the kingdom of heaven is similar to, not in every respect, not in every aspect of an analogy, but only in certain points. And in order to understand the kingdom of heaven, the challenge is to identify those areas, those points in the analogy that teach, that reveal the certain areas or the points about the kingdom of heaven. And if the Lord went to so much trouble as he did to construct for us these similitudes, these parables, then it's those are the points that are in the similitude that we need to drill down on, that is important for us to hone in on. And that's our goal. That's our goal with these parables, to drill down on the important points to get the meat out of the parable that he's teaching. So when we see how the Lord is, for example, in the last parable, when we see how the Lord has taken us to see a man sowing seed, that means we really need to vicariously get into it Get into following the seed as it's flung out. See, it's flung out. Follow some of that seed. Follow the seed as with a thud, the seed hits, lands on this hard ground. And then, oh no, here come the birds. They're gonna eat the seed. And that means to follow some of that seed as it, and we feel it landing between rocks on the rocky ground. It got bruised up as it fell down in between the rocks, but it found some soil. It means we need to follow some of that seed as it, as it gets scratched up landing among the thorns, and we feel it gasping for air as, as it's struggling between those thorns that are choking it. And then we need to follow some of that seed as it lands on good ground, and the seed that says, ah, finally, this is what I'm talking about. I finally landed where I need to be. Yeah, this is what my whole life has been for, to get into this good ground. That was the parable uh, about the sower and his seed, which explained one simple thing. How come the gospel doesn't work for everybody? How come, how come the gospel works for some people and this good gospel, why it works for some people and this good gospel, why it doesn't work for others? That's what he was teaching in that parable. 
So we really get into the spirit of the parables, and now we, we kind of imagine the Lord with, with a troubled look on his face as he wants to explain why there is not found in God's good earth good, good, good. Why there's not only goodness found in God's good earth. So he only wants to explain this. He's got this troubled look on his face, and he wants to explain why is there evil? You know, people say, why are you good? Anyway, whatever they say. But anyway, so he wants to explain why in God's good world there is evil and wickedness. Why is that? Why do you find evil and wickedness in the earth? That's what he's trying to explain in the second one, second parable here. And so he's got this troubled look on his face. He reaches deep down into his bag of analogies. And we can imagine a smile on his face as he thinks, I got it. I got just the right analogy to explain this, why there is evil and wickedness in God's good earth, in good God, in the earth that belongs to the good Lord. And so the Lord takes us on another journey. He's taking us on another trip to see another man sowing seed in his field. And now we really want to understand this parable and we really want to get into it. We want to imagine this man. We want to get the right point. We want to follow the important point and don't follow the unimportant points. And so we imagine this man sowing seed as he's described it here. I mean, and he's painted a very graphic picture. And we want to paint in our minds a very graphic picture of this man, of this farmer, as he's introduced to us in verse 24. So we look carefully at this man sowing seed in his field. And what do we see? We see a man who deeply, passionately cares about his field. He's not a lazy man. He's a very, very, very diligent man. He starts off, this man starts off, and he looks at his empty field, and he can kind of see his chest swell with pride as he thinks to himself, this is my field. This is, I own this field, and that makes me responsible for what's going to happen on my field. The buck stops here, he says. If this field's fruitful, it's fruitful for me. It's my field. If this fruit less, it's fruitless for me. It's a waste for me because it's my field. I own this field, and what this field produces is my responsibility. That's the first important point. We're going to get seven of them out of this. That's the first important point, and it's seen in that one word, his, his, in verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good in his field, not a field. This is his field. This is his field. No one else is going to tell him that it's not his field. It's his field. He's not giving up his field to anyone else. It's his field. First point about this man. This field belongs to him. The field belongs to him. Now, next we see inside this man's mind, he's got a vision in his mind here. He's got a vision of a beautiful field full of being very fruitful. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. It's going to make a lot of wheat. Beautiful. He's got this vision in there. It's going to be fruitful. It's going to come from his field. This man has plans for his field. That's the second point of the parable we see about this man. He's a man of vision. His vision is clear. He has plans for this field. It is going to yield lots of fruit. So with all this feeling of ownership of the field and all the excitement of the vision of the field being so fruitful, this man starts sowing a seed. But a tragedy happens. A tragedy happens to this man. It's a disaster. It's a catastrophe. It's a heartbreak in verse 25. No other way to describe it. While men slept, verse 25, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. 
his enemy came. Who said anything about enemy? But the good man has an enemy, we learn. The good man has an enemy. The good man has a very evil enemy. This very evil enemy wants to hurt this good man. This very evil enemy was studying what the good man was doing. This very evil enemy saw that the good wheat seed that this man was sowing, and this very evil enemy saw the vision of this good man's field yielding good wheat, and this very evil enemy wanted to ruin it, wanted to destroy it. He wanted to ruin and destroy this good man's dreams and hopes and work. So this very evil enemy purposefully waits for everyone to be sleeping. And then in the quietness of the night, under the cover of, of night, the darkest night, this very evil enemy sows weeds all over this good man's field. Verse 25, but while the men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. It's terrible. Reminds of a friend in, uh, named Alfredo. His name's Alfredo. He lives in Loreto, Mexico. Loreto. And Alfredo had a dog. And there's a lot of dogs down there, and some of them people adopt, some of them they don't adopt, but there's a lot of dogs. But anyways, he had this dog. He loved his dog, and his dog loved him. And when Alfredo would go to the beach, his dog would play with him on the beach. It was his pal. When Alfredo would jump in the water to go swim in the, in the sea, his dog would jump in the water too and swim next to him. It was a very close relationship. Alfredo loved his dog, but Alfredo had an enemy. And Alfredo's enemy wanted to hurt Alfredo. And Alfredo's enemy saw the loving relationship that Alfredo had with his dog. So one night, when Alfredo was asleep, Alfredo's enemy took one of those um, blowfishes, puffer fishes, you know, in Japanese they call them fugu. They're the very, very, very poisonous livers. There was a famous story in Japan where Sometimes they serve that in restaurants, to, you know, for some special meal. They did for me one time. I said, I don't want to eat that stuff anymore. Anyway, because if the knife touched the liver and an actor there and they got it on there, he died instantly. The actor died instantly. So very, very poisonous. So Alfredo's enemy took the blowfish, the puffer fish, and during the night threw the blowfish over Alfredo's fence into his yard and the dog ate it and died immediately. So Alfredo's enemy hated Alfredo so much that he just wanted to destroy what made Alfredo happy. And the enemy of this good man who sowed his field hated him so much that he wanted to destroy what made him happy. That's the third point of this parable. The third point is that the man had an enemy who wanted to destroy what made him happy. That's the third point. Well, no one knew that the man's enemy had sowed these weeds until, verse 26, but when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, there then appeared the tares also. That was such a surprise. That was such a, a shock to everybody. So in verse 27, verse 27 says, so the servants of the householder came and said unto him, sir, dost not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath the tares? No one understood what happened. The good man, when he saw the weeds, he immediately understood, and he explained to them in verse 28, verse 28, he said unto them, an enemy hath done this. And so the servants said, well, wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? So the good man saw the enemy's signature all over these weeds. And so the servants want to know if they should just go and take out the seeds immediately. But the good man tells them, 
in verse 29, he said, nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. So the man, the good man, is more concerned about what would happen to the wheat than he is concerned about getting rid of the weeds. So the man decides that the wheat will be better off if it's allowed to grow together with the tares. The point here is that the man's primary concern over the well-being of the wheat, that's his first priority. That's the fourth point. That's the fourth point of this parable, that his first priority is for the wheat. So because his first priority is for the wheat, and his first priority is to care for the tender wheat, the good man makes his decision. And he tells the decision in verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather you together first the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, and gather the wheat into my barn. So he says, let both grow together until the harvest. So these are famous words, let both grow together until the harvest. And with these words, he's saying really three things. First, both the wheat and the tares should uh, grow together, they should be together. Second, the time is coming that the, when the being together, when the wheat and the tares together was limited, was limited, it was limited to the time when he would say the harvest was coming. That's the second point. Third point is that at the time of the harvest, there's going to be a separation of the wheat and the tares where the wheat is going to go into not a barn, not the barn, going into his barn. He makes a point of saying again, his, his field, his barn. So when the man said that, that both of them should grow together, he meant that both should have the same rain, both should have the same sunshine, both should have the same nutritious soil or whatever he put on that soil to make it good. The tares should have all of that along with the wheat. Just like the Lord Jesus said about God the Father in Matthew 5.45, Matthew 5.45, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the just, and sendeth his rain on the just and on the unjust. So what we see is that this man who owns the field, this man who owns the barn, this man who sows his field, and this man who's going to determine the time of the harvest, and that's the fifth point, that in order to not hurt the wheat, and both the, the wheat and the tares are gonna grow together until the time of the harvest. And then the sixth point is that this man is gonna determine when there's gonna be a harvest and when the tares and the wheat are gonna be destroyed. And there is a group there is a group that's prominent in this story, and that group are, in verse 30, in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather you together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them and gather the wheat into the barn. That's the seventh point, that there are reapers who will do the work in the harvest of destroying the tares and of gathering the wheat into his barn. Now, for most of the crowd, all they heard was a story about a man and his field and an enemy, but the message that was behind it all, they didn't get. And the message was, the man represents Christ. The field that the man owns is the world. That's Christ's world. The world is Christ. That Christ sows good seed, which means goodness in his world. He's sowing goodness in his world. 
But Christ has an enemy, that's the devil, that works to destroy the work of Christ. The devil hates Christ so much, he looks at what makes Christ happy and he works to destroy it, to ruin it. So he sows evil and wickedness in Christ's world, the devil does. But Christ determines when there's gonna be an end, the harvest, and when there is a harvest, it will be the angels who are the reapers. Angels will be the reapers. Angels will be the reapers and they're gonna do the work of the final destruction of the lost and the saving of the just. The harvest is described as an angel with a large sickle, a large sharp sickle in his hand in Revelation 14, 15. Revelation 14, 15. Another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud. Thrust in thine angel, thy sickle and reap for the time has come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. It will be angels who will be the reapers as we said here in, in verse 30 and it will be angels who will who will be the ones who will bind the tares in bundles to burn them and gather the wheat in his barn. David actually prayed. He prayed something very interesting. He prayed, don't gather me with sinners. He said in Psalm 26, 9, Psalm 26, 9, gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men. Abigail, who's David's wife, Abigail later became David's wife, told David that he would be put into a bundle of life, she put it, in 1 Samuel 25, 9. 1 Samuel 25, 9. The soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. And the souls of thine enemies, them shall he sling out as out of the middle of a sling. So that's the description for believers. It's a wonderful description in 1 Samuel 25, 29. Bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. And the harvest is described as all the dead standing before God with books of the record of their lives open. And then there's another book there also called the book of life in Revelation 20:12. Revelation 20:12. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the final harvest is described as everyone coming, even the sea giving up her dead, those who were buried at sea, those that, and you can imagine those that were cremated, ashes give up her dead, those who were in hell giving up her dead to be judged. No one escapes the final judgment in Revelation 20.13, Revelation 20.13. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works. And it's angels, angels that are gonna do this. When The Lord says when he comes back, he'll have the angels with him in Matthew 25, 31. Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And now angels are very skillful, they're very strong, and they're very loyal to Christ. And they're gonna carry out all this final judgment. Angels are our friends. Angels are our friends. They help us. It says in Hebrews 1.13, Hebrews 1.13, angels who will be the reapers to eventually carry us into Christ's barn, heaven, they help us, Hebrews 1.13, Hebrews 1.13. Which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstools? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. So 
angels are, as reapers, also protect believers. It says in Psalm 34, 7, Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them and delivereth them. That's what the angels do. They encamp around us. People say to me, aren't you afraid living alone? Do you have bodyguards? No, I don't have bodyguards. Aren't you afraid? No, I'm not. Because angels. And so angels have been commanded to protect God's children. Says Psalm 91.11, Psalm 91.11. He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands that thou uh, dash, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. When Daniel was in the lion's den, there, very, very, very terrible, scary place to be. He's in a lion's den down there, and then the lions don't touch him, and then the king comes and, and says, Daniel, he's still alive. Daniel explained to the king how come the lions didn't kill him. He said in Daniel 6.22, Daniel 6.22, my God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me. So you can imagine Daniel is seeing that this angel is keeping that lion's mouth shut. Angels help us understand. They help us understand where we're very disturbed. They've helped us. Joseph, mother, the husband of Mary, was very disturbed over his wife's pregnancy. It says in Matthew 119, Matthew 119, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And then later on in their lives, it was an angel that caused the family to avoid danger in Matthew 2.13, Matthew 2.13. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be there thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. We're told that angels, angels like the Lord said about the reapers in that story, that angels are gonna carry believers to heaven. It's gonna be angels. Matthew 24, 31, Matthew 24, 31, he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the one end of heaven to the other. And we saw that in the case of uh, the beggar, Lazarus, when he died, it says in Luke 16, 22, Luke 16, 22, it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. It was an angel that opened up the prison doors for the apostles in Acts 5, Acts 5, the angel of the Lord by night, Acts 5, 19, 5, 19, the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth. An angel took off the chains off of Peter's arms and legs when he was in prison and opened the prison doors. In Acts 12.6, Acts 12.6, when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. And then it was an angel when Herod was standing in front of all the people there and he was uh, making a great oration and the people were saying, oh, it's not the voice of man, it's the voice of God. An angel stepped in in Acts 12, 21, Acts 12, 21. Upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, made an oration unto him. The people gave a shout saying, it's the voice of a God, not of a man. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.